Welcome to The Glow Show from Grow Lab Organics, hosted by Charlie Lyons. Well, hello everyone and welcome to week two of this season of The Glow Show from Grow Lab Organics. As always, I am your host, Charlie Lyons, and we are going on a journey into the power of cannabis. So I wanted to kick off the show this week by first of all saying a massive thank you, frankly, to everyone for all of the wonderful comments and feedback we had on last week's show with Paul Rosen. He was a great guest to kick off with because he spoke so eloquently about the journey he's been on and how he sees the cannabis scene at the moment from a global perspective and some of those similarities between that early green rush in Canada and where we are in Europe at the moment. So just once again, a big thank you to Paul for that. But it's been great to have so much positive energy from the community and everyone listening back to us. You know, this is a new format for us. Uh, We're learning uh, and we're glad you're enjoying, but it was really great to get off a flying start. So thank you for that. And we're looking forward to this week's show. On the show this week, we have a super special guest. I'm really excited to talk to him. Uh, The guest is Jason Wan, who many of you will know from his time at Puffco, uh, obviously one of the leading brands in the cannabis space from a hardware perspective, you know, super innovative, beautiful brand. And Jason is, as I said in the in the video to sort of tease the show, you know, he's a complete creative powerhouse. You can't help but be inspired by Jason when you speak to him. You know, he's reached the highest levels of every industry he's been part of. And I've always got such admiration for individuals, and it's more commonplace these days, who who kind of jump between different types of career. You know, they're fearless in their application of their skill in the creative space. You know, Jason has hit the heights not only in the music industry, but in the design industry. He's built world-class products. And now he finds himself as one of the most influential creative leaders in the cannabis industry. And by his own words, you know, there's levels to cannabis. And I think he is someone who is really pushing the boundaries when it comes to brand and product innovation. So, you know, huge admirer, as many of you are. I think the whole setup over there in the way uh, Jason has got that brand firing is super inspiring. And, you know, I can't wait to learn more. On the glow side of things, we're going to have a pretty significant update for you all in the coming weeks. So I think for today, let's just get straight into it. And without further ado, Jason, welcome to the Glow Show. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. It'd be really helpful for our listeners if you could just kind of kick off with uh, a little bit about you and your own journey. I think one of the things that I love when I read about your background, as with many people that work in the industry, they have taken a kind of a wiggly path. To cannabis. So if you could just talk us through uh, your journey, I know it's touched on many different areas of the kind of creative spectrum. I think that'd be a great place to start. Um, my journey began as a teenager uh, in Carson, California, here in Los Angeles. And I started out as a musician and slowly became my profession as I got into my mid to late teens. Uh, dropped out of high school uh, to go on tour and to play full time. Did the music thing until I was in my early 20s and got married and decided that I couldn't be in a band, in a rock band, and stay married. So I decided I had to make a choice. And it was a choice that I gave myself and just a reality check that there's two opposite lifestyles that I can't commit to both. I've got to have one master and not have multiple masters. So I decided to, uh, you know, just commit myself to. Uh, building a family. So I stopped playing music. 
And I actually got a job as a uh, a janitor at an industrial design company because I was not qualified for any other position. Didn't have a high school diploma, had no formal education, had no trade except playing music and being on stage and writing songs. That's the only thing I, I knew how to do. So I took the janitorial job. And to make a long story short, I was blessed. At the time, I didn't feel blessed, but I was blessed now looking back to have be given the opportunity to climb up the ladder rung by rung, each rung at a time. I didn't get to skip the line. I didn't get to make any advancements because of some, you know, amazing technical or, or creative talents that I had. I just did it by just working really hard and climbing every rung from janitor all the way up to becoming a design assistant, to becoming a designer, then becoming a senior designer, then a junior art director, and just rung by rung up the creative ladder. Uh, Mainly just worked in the entertainment business, uh, doing design, creative, uh, motion graphics. I did, uh, I worked for a broadcast design company. Um, So I did a lot of work in the motion graphics area. Then at some point uh, in my late 20s, um, I left and started my own creative agency called 1K Studios, and it be- was hugely successful um, and had that for 15 years. Um, during that period, I got a call from Steve Jobs in early 2000 to go and work with him on helping him launch the iDVD platform on Apple's iOS, uh, because we were doing a lot of DVD work for the studios, uh, the major film studios here in L.A., so worked with him on that and continued to working with him on some iTunes projects and uh, got to work with Steve for six years. It's not every day you talk to someone that's worked with Steve Jobs. You know, I, I've worked with Apple before in my old design studio. Um, it's an amazing company. But tell, tell me a bit about what that was like and for people that are listening, because being in the presence of such a visionary leader, you know, you read lots of different things about Steve. What was that like? And just being in his presence and understanding his work ethic when it came to the creative process and product design and development? Uh, First of all, it was the highlight of my career. He was somebody that I admired and looked up to in a tremendous way. Getting to meet him and getting to work with him and spend time with him was definitely an incredible experience. The biggest takeaway that I got from him was never to cut any corners, Mm -hmm. just to always do the best work possible. Even if it takes all-nighters, even if it takes sacrificing your weekends, even if it takes, you know, skipping meals, whatever it took to make sure the product or what you were working on was at the highest level possible and that there is no way that it could be done any better at that time. And that was his marker. Certainly plays out in the products and services they've created over the years. Sorry, I stopped you mid-flow there. Keep rolling. That's okay. And then uh, in 2011, my agency got uh, bought by a publicly traded company. And since then, I was just kind of, you know, floating around, uh, working on various projects, uh, working with various agencies and companies as a kind of a creative and brand marketing consultant and um, did that for a while. And I think what happened was I enjoyed myself a lot, but I was skipping around from project to project, working with teams. And teams, and I kind of missed having a place I could lay down my roots and really spend time to get to know the people, get to help, be a part of their journey, and uh, uh, was just kind of missing home. Basically, I wanted a place to call home. So um, I heard about the opening at Puffco, uh, which was a company that I, I, a brand that I really admired because I really loved the approach that they were taking of innovation first. 
Um, and so it was in, kind of in line with a little bit like what Apple's kind of attitude was um, in just creating the best products possible. Um, so I applied, had went through an incredible interview process. It was, I think, two and a half months of interviewing with them. Um, and then finally, I got, uh, I got the offer and I took the offer at PuffCo. Um, was very unfamiliar with the cannabis in the sense that I wasn't really a heavy consumer. I just used it medicinally um, and just found that there's levels to this game uh, when I joined PuffCo. Um, I was working with some CBD companies and uh, brands, helping them launch and come to market. Uh, but getting in the space with PuffCo, I just realized that I really know nothing and that this plant has so many levels and uh, uh, this industry has has so many kind of uh, really details that I, I knew nothing about. So um, it's been an amazing journey. I've been there for uh, going on almost two years at PuffCo, working with an amazing team an amazing group of people and uh, just learning every day and growing. That's the biggest thing in this industry. It's no pun intended, but you know, you plant the seeds and then you, you grow and then you harvest later. I'm in the process of just learning and, and just really just absorbing everything that I can. That's cool, man. And, and I, I relate for sure. I think um, whether you're a, you know, 20, 25 year veteran of the plant or just starting out, I think there's a unifying uh, lane with everyone that works in cannabis that we're all students of the plant really there's still so much to discover the fact that it's been in prohibition for so long in various you know jurisdictions around the world means that it hasn't been studied like many other things so it is a wonder plant and truly fascinating if it's cool with you i'd just like to slow time down a little bit and, and rewind some of the things that you said in your journey well then we'll dig into the puffco uh path and and cannabis more broadly as we go I, i'd just like to know like where do you think your hustle came from? Because you obviously had huge success in the band was Justice, right? You were the drummer of Justice. Yeah. So you had obviously this, this sort of very uh, fast trajectory of, of wealth and uh, fun and enjoyment as a younger man. And then you kind of, like you say, you, you took this, this role as a janitor in a, in a, as an industrial design firm, right? You kind of grafted your way up. Where did that hustle come from? Because um, it's not given, right? It's something that you, you have to kind of just be as part of you. So, so where do you think that came from? I think um, that came from my mom. My seeing my mom, um, she had a, she had a business in Korea when I was I was born in Korea. So I, I was there till I was six years old. So I saw my mom working really hard. She was an entrepreneur at heart. And when we immigrated here to the U.S., I saw her work really really hard. Um, get up at four o'clock in the morning, take several buses to downtown L.A. where she worked in the a sweatshop sewing and, and doing manual labor work, never complained, just knew that that's what she needed to do here to get ahead. And eventually, you know, started another business on her own, like a hamburger uh, uh, restaurant um, that went really well, sold that. And I saw her kind of move up the ladder and being in music also helped, I think, tremendously because you realize when you first pick up a, you know, a pair of sticks or you, get your pick up your guitar for the first time you're not good you're really bad mm -hmm. <laughs> and it takes time dedication effort and a lot of discipline a lot of things for you to master that craft and be really good so i think learning that and the process and the evolution of um, whatever it is that you choose to do is not some magic pill or miracle that happens that you're born out of the gate being this prodigy i mean they're there but you know i wasn't one of them so i had to learn it the hard way because when I first started playing drums, I really stunk really bad. 
but I worked hard enough at it to get really good. And uh, it, it it taught me a lesson of kind of embracing the suck because um, going back to when playing in in a band and playing in front of hundreds you know uh, of people um, screaming and, and yelling at you and and just uh, applauding you the whole time and having an ego. I'm you got to understand. I'm in my I don't even have a driver's license and I'm headlining clubs here and every club here in LA. So um, going from that to being a janitor was a very humbling experience and uh, a reality check. But I had to focus back to how it felt when I started playing drums, which was I really sucked and I, it took time for me to get good at it. So when I started in design as a janitor, I was not afraid to ask questions. I saw what everybody was working on, took the time to get to know people and invested in them and uh, invested time in them. And then eventually they were willing to share what they were working on, uh, how, how a computer works, what is Photoshop? I didn't know any of that stuff. And it was a lot due to having the classroom actually in a place where they were doing the work and I was just a student all the time. So that's cool. Who are you drumming idols? Um, come on, man. John Bonham was, is, the, is the king of all kings. He's the Muhammad Ali of drumming. So, so then just another one, just as we moved a little forward, I think this is something that certainly me and lots of our other listeners can relate to is that kind of almost imposter syndrome. Like you, you called it out. You've had success in a career. You've had success in a, in a few different careers. When you get into cannabis, you suddenly realize, wow, like you say, levels is the right word. It talked to me how that made you feel. You, you'd gone from being super successful in both music and then through design, working with you know, one of the luminaries of our generation or any generation in Steve. What did it feel like then to kind of just be back in that ground zero learning mode? It was actually exciting for me. It made me feel uh, rejuvenated in the sense that I'm entering something that I'm entering a room where I'm the dumbest one in the room, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And sometimes to be the dumbest one in the room is a blessing because everyone around you has knowledge that can, uh, you know, contribute to your growth. So understanding your position and knowing that, you know, you don't have all the answers in this one, you have a lot to learn. Uh, understanding your starting point, because we all have different starting points. Uh, and really understanding and embracing that this is an area and an industry that has a lot of uh, idiosyncrasies and a lot to learn about. And just accepting the fact that you're going to spend some time not knowing and not having any of the answers. And you're going to have to spend some time really asking questions. And I know people usually email me or, or Slack me or whatever. Let me ask you a dumb question. I don't think there are really dumb questions. You know, if you don't know the answer to something, why do you think Google is such an amazing platform? It's because we all don't have all the answers. So really to embrace the fact that you are not a master in this craft, you don't have all the answers. And as I grew in my uh, career, I realized the biggest tool that I had, the lesson that, that I learned, uh, the gift that I got was to learn how to learn, learn how to unlearn, and learn how to relearn, yeah. if that makes sense. It makes total sense. I think it's, it's a great message as well, you know, especially for a lot of people you know, that are looking to get into this industry or are already in this industry. I think we all share some of those things. So that's, that's uh, bang on. Jason, I, I read, I think, in another interview, I, I really liked this, something that you've said before was um, when you were touring, you, know, you were sex, no drugs, and rock and roll. I think <laughs> I'm quite right, which I, which I loved. What changed? Because you, you touched on this when you kind of moved into your role uh, as head of creative at Puffco, 
you you're consuming the plant as a medicine which you know many people are uh, in the UK for example at the moment there's i think 1.4 million people use cannabis as a medicine every day sourced from illicit sources you know there's 5 million plus users every day so it's such a therapeutic plant you know all the benefits of it so what what changed for you in your approach there and and what is it about the plant that kind of fascinated you as you started to you know bring it more into your sort of front and center as it were um you know when i was growing up and playing in the band it was all around um all drugs you name it i've seen it all um it was always around it was during the 80s the decade of you know debauchery and excess right so it was all around me and i saw um how destructive cocaine and uh heroin and uh crystal meth all those things were now everybody smoked pot but i was a victim of all the propaganda and the PR that was around cannabis as well. So being a 14, 13, 14 year old playing in a a rock band, seeing drugs all around, I just got scared. So I never partook. Um, Also just thinking about my mom making the sacrifices she had to make to give me an opportunity to have a better life. And I'm going to waste it and piss it off by just getting high and, you know, sitting on a couch, pissing on myself that that wasn't going to happen. So um, that's why I never really partook when I was younger. But as I got older, um, that was also the reason why I got into cannabis. Uh, my schedule when I was in a band was ridiculous. I slept when the sun was up and I woke up when the sun was down, basically. And when I got into the design business, I also, that sleep schedule was crazy too, because I was working till three thirty, four in the morning at times. Uh, and just, it works when you're young, but it's a, it's a young man's game to be able to put in those kind of hours. Um, as I hit my 40s, late 40s, um, I realized, my God, I, I have a horrible sleeping pattern. and I'm tired and exhausted all the time. Um, so I went to go see a doctor and the doctor prescribed me Ambien, then Lunesta, and then Valium, and then Xanax. And it just kept going up and up and up and doses kept going up until it didn't work anymore. And then they switched drugs. And I was just feeling completely dazed like a zombie all day. So I would drink literally a pot and a half to two pots of coffee every day just to get the haze and the fog off of my brain. Um, and I just realized I can't continue doing this like this. I'm going to end up like killing myself and I don't like the way it makes me feel. Um, so somebody introduced me to CBD and got into CBD. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. It's actually working. The sleep or anxiety or, or specifically what was the, the kind of, it, the it, of CBD? It was for anxiety and to slow my mind yep. and for me to be able to fall asleep and just be relaxed enough to go in a state where I can fall asleep. And I just had a horrible time doing that. I could try to go to bed at seven o'clock at night, but still uh, I would be flipping back and forth in bed, can't shut the mind off till 3.30 in the morning. And so it was, it was a wrestling struggle every night for me. CBD helped. And then he said, hey, you know what? Why don't you add a little THC? That would even help more. And eventually it just found, found out that, yeah, the CBD is great, but THC just had such a more impactful uh, effect to the things that I was looking for. I don't use it recreationally. I mean, every once in a while, I, I will at an event or whatever. Um, but uh, for the most part, my consumption is just basically replacing the, the, you know, the prescribed poisons and tranquilizers that my doctors were giving me. And you know, even I, I even asked my doctor, I said, what do you think about you know, alternative things? And he said, well, you, know, you might want to try cannabis. It helps some people. Um, it helped me tremendously. It was it, it took that kind of burden off of my shoulders and was able to 
remedy the things that 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 were impacting my daily life or quality of my life it's fascinating we we see that a lot with the patients we talk to in europe about you know i don't want to be on the opioids for pain or sleep or whatever it may be obviously the us has such a big culture of of medication and prescription drugs and all this stuff you're obviously working at Puffco. you've been involved you've seen all the drugs through your kind of musician recreational lens and also your own medicinal lens and obviously all of the different insights you get working at Puffco. you live in the states you know the culture around the prescription side of things what's the stigma like around cannabis now as it's kind of you've come out of prohibition you know decades ago and then you've building these lifestyle brands people are now using the plant in you know everyday life but there's still this kind of really heavy prescription kind of culture how do you sort of see things at the moment around the taboos around cannabis? Is it totally thawed or is there still a more traditional, oh, no, drugs are bad, war on drugs on a mindset? I mean, like, the war on drugs has failed, really, right? So where do you see things at the moment in the lay of the land in the States? Well, I think it's slow. I think it's slowly evolving. And I think it's a generational thing. Um, I think with every generation, they accept uh, cannabis plant as medicine, whole plant, whole medicine, makes sense to generations as uh, you know, the younger generations are kind of born into uh, this legal cannabis, uh, you know, state where, uh, you know, my generation and my parents' generation, it was just complete taboo. You don't even talk about it. Um, so it's changing, but it's changing slowly. I think the biggest change is, is coming generationally. I think the kids of today are more accepting and more kind of open to using whole plant and whole medicine not only recreationally, but medicinally as well. Um, they're not as abusive or as indulgent in things, I think, as we were in the previous generations where we want not just a piece of cake, we want the whole cake. Uh, you know what I mean? We don't, we don't want a beer. We want all the beer we can drink. Yeah, it was this excess, excess generation. I don't think they have the same kind of materialistic, ex excessive kind of attitude that we have, that we were brought up in. Excuse me, mainly because I think, you know, there is an abundance of selection and, and choices. And there are a lot of brands that are creating experiences that are, fall, that, that are just so enjoyable and so amazing to have um, that I think they are seeing the value of the plant in a way that we weren't able to. We didn't know if it was oregano or, or, or marijuana in the 80s, right? And it was just one type or... If you got lucky, you got some, you know, Jamaican uh, uh, strain that somebody brought over. Um, but now innovation has taken the plant so much further um, of different strains, different growers, different extractors. There's so many different verticals here of people that just want to do excellent work and create the best experience possible, which is an amazing place to be. Now, I, I just got to say this is we're not even in the infant stages. I think we're in the incubation stages. So we've got a long road ahead, but how amazing it would be to play a part in contributing uh, to that kind of journey of uh, making this whole plant, whole medicine, uh, cannabis, psychedelics, uh, MD, MA, where which people are um, doing experiments with to treat PTSD. They're figuring out there's other ways to you know, skin the cat, you know, there's not only one way, you don't have to take the opioids, you don't have to take the tranquilizers. There are so many deaths here in the US on a daily basis because of opioid, opioid abuse. Now there's lacing fentanyl with everything. Every time you consume an illegal drug, you're playing Russian roulette. 
And that's the thing I love about cannabis is they've taken that off the table. You know what you're getting. You know who you're getting it from. You know how it's grown. Um, so the industry has evolved, and I hope it could lead the way for other kind of, uh, uh, you know, like psychedelics and other kind of areas to open up as well. Yeah, I, I think that's completely bang on. It's how we see things. You know, Glow's mission is to help people live better lives. There's a huge amount of education to be done, but I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jason, that choice of strain or delivery mechanism, like what are you actually looking for? I think I, I'd be interested to get your view on the kind of blurring lines or the increasing encroachment between sort of the adult use rec market and medicinal, because I see now, you know, there's books out there like, you know, the new Chardonnay and these things where it's like people are coming home and consuming the plant like they would a glass or two of wine. You know, it's a it's a shift in terms of it's not like you say, we don't want to just get as high as possible. It's like I just need to unwind from the stress of my day or whatever. So but my question to you then is, how do you see those kind of worlds blending? You know, you talked to your, you talked about your own journey. It's, it's a medicine first and foremost for you, but occasionally it's a recreational play. Do, do you see the two audiences learning from each other and a Puffco kind of leaning into that? What are you seeing from the data around, you know, your customers on those two kind of worlds? Because they are intrinsically linked, right? Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> I think um, currently um, Puffco serves, I don't want to say hardcore, but pretty seasoned cannabis consumers. Um, if you're dabbing um, concentrates, you're, you're a pretty, you know, pretty advanced uh, cannabis user. So we, we kind of service people who understand different strains, understand different, uh, you know, ways of extraction, what they prefer. <clears throat> but the inc incredible thing is our founder and CEO, Puffco, who, who started Puffco, is a, basically a cannabis user. Cannabis basically got, helped him, you know, improve the quality of his life as it did mine. And he's taking the platform as a vehicle to educate as well. And he's taken uh, Puffco as a brand, um, not only for social causes, but also to kind of take away some of the stigma and provide some context and education. You're right. Um, it is still federally illegal. So there aren't a lot of tests. But to me, uh, cannabis is one of the biggest human trial tests ever conducted on planet Earth um, because everybody's used it. Phenomenal, right? The biggest concern is safety. Well, you don't have that, right? You don't have that. That's the biggest concern of going to market is safety. So we've had the biggest human trials, uh, probably in the history of any <laughs> any uh, particular uh, thing. And um, so we're now using the platform to, you know, maybe take users into connoisseurs, the curious into being users, giving them the in information and tools they need to whatever their comfort level is. I, I want to emphasize this. You shouldn't bully people into trying anything. Um, it should be something that they are well-informed and well-educated about. They have all the information they need to make the decision on their own. And if they choose to engage with the plant, that they do it in a way where it gives them the, the best possible ex experience so that um, they can fully engage in what this plant has to offer. And so um, with Puffco, I think we just spend a lot of time not only marketing and, and developing our products and really focusing on innovation and what's next, but is really building the future we want to live in. And that touches on everything, right? That touches on homelessness, that touches on human rights, that touches on, you know, the prohibition laws that were uh, placed here because of cannabis. Um, all of those things that were broken are, are still broken. 
somebody has to fix it. It won't magically go away at a blink of an eye. And a politician's not going to fix it. Um, we have to kind of, as a community uh, and, and people, come together and right some of the wrongs that were done in the past. Echo all of that. It's amazing to me the damage that's been done in the time cannabis has been illegal, as in you know humans haven't been able to use it at will. Hundred years. It's a fragment of time, but within that that time, we've done so much you know wrong to sort of we've got a lot of work to do to unravel it so it's really inspiring to hear how you know puffco and other great cannabis brands are trying to take the fight to some of the wrongs that have been done and a lot of the social injustice that just frankly is yeah, is awful so you know we hope to be able to play our role in europe as things uh, come online over here as well because there's a lot of uh, the same problems over here frankly Okay, let's move, let's move into Puffco more and kind of product, which is obviously a topic that's close to both of our hearts, given our backgrounds. You've got a whole suite of amazing products. You know, you're the most awarded company in cannabis for your hardware, ranging from the Peak to obviously the more recent Peak Pro, the Budsies come out, you know, you've got all these different things, loads of great collaborations. Just take me in a kind of, you know, thousand foot up, like the creative process, like how are you deciding what products to develop and talk to me about the kind of creative process that you go through before some sketches to something on the shelf in a, in a dispensary or wherever. Um, I think the bulk of the ideas, if not most uh, ideas come from our CEO um, and Roger's vision for what he thinks would be the next uh, worthy investment that we should make as a, as a brand to uh, R and D and develop and work on. I think that, the biggest tool that we have, you know, aside from Roger being the CEO and founder of the company, is uh, we listen, especially him. He listens to our customers. He listens to our community. He listens to, to what their needs are, what their pain points are, what they think we can do better with our products, what they're missing in their lives, and is able to collect all that data and all that information, process it, and then figure out, okay, as a company, how can innovation or how can we innovate a product to meet these uh, kind of uh, pain points that people are having or things that people want to uh, have that doesn't exist here today? That to me is such an incredible pathway to not only move forward, but um, you know, create products that have meaning and that have impact is to really listen to what, again, it's like I, I refer everything back to music. I can write a great song that I think is a great song, but everybody in the world could say it stinks. It does me absolutely no good to write that song commercially if I'm the only one that likes it. So I have to be able to listen to, as a musician, what's going on in the world, um, what's hip right now, what's the trends, what I see the trends might be coming forward, what are other bands doing. You got, you got to take into consideration so many things. And then at the end of the day, give your genuine personal interpretation of that in a, in a music form. I feel like it's the same thing. That's what's going on in Puffco is really understanding the landscape, really understanding what's available, understanding what our customers needs and wants are, and then using innovation and technology to be able to address and solve those problems. Um, at the end of the day, um, what I really loved about Puffco, and I said this, I think Roger said it in an interview when I was interviewing for the, for the position was that innovation um, renders competition obsolete, if that makes sense. If you continuously innovate and you continuously move forward, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or what your competitor is doing. Um, your innovation will 
uh, will make the competition obsolete. And that's what we put forth in, in Puffco is just basically we continuously innovate. We don't sit in on our laurels and feel like, oh, we're, we're happy, you know, we sold, you know, X amount of units. We're constantly thinking, okay, well, what can we do better? And how can we do it better? Who do we need to make that better? And uh, just continually in- innovate on our products and, and really spend the time to listen to our audience. Yeah, I, I mean, it resonates super strongly with us. I, I think it's amazing how many companies never have the voice of the customer in the meeting. <laughs> you know, it's, it blows my mind to this day. It's product development 101 is talk to your customers. They will give you all of the answers, any feature you want to develop, all those unmet needs. They are all about, you know, I would think great product managers or product developers, they should never be in the office. They should be out talking to the customers all the time because then you're going to be able to design whatever feature you need really quickly. I mean, I was actually going to ask you about um, the, the Budsy because I know it's one of your more recent products. It's a move away from a concentrate device to be flower. I, I, that must have come straight from your customers saying, we love the brand, we love Puffco, but we don't always, always want to smoke a concentrate, right? Yeah, I think, you know, Budsy was a uh, product that was born out of the, uh, the product team. Um, they thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could make this? And Roger was, you know, brilliant enough to allow them to pursue it. And they were able to innovate on it. And as simple as it may seem, because um, it is a very, our first analog product, um, it has no electronics in it, but it is innovative in the sense that, you know, it took a lot of work to get it to where, where it was. We really spent a, time, a lot of time on a lot of the details and really figuring out what the best experience could be. Um, using that kind of uh, a way of consumption. For our listeners, can you describe what the Budsy is? Because probably lots of people won't actually know because again, I, <laughs> I'm obviously following you guys regularly and I'm aware of all the product line, but in your own words, if you will. So um, most of our products are electronic products, um, uh, but Budsy is our first non-electronic product. Basically, it is a water bottle, a travel like water bottle, a Nalgene bottle is what we call it here in the U.S., and it has a modified top that allows you to not conceal, but uh, when you're walking around with it, it just looks like a water bottle that you're carrying around like on a hike or to the gym or whatever. But when you open the top, uh, it has uh, a bowl where you can put cannabis into and you use it like a bong, like a regular glass bong you would. But we made it in a, I don't want to say concealed. We concealed it. We did conceal it. We concealed it in a water bottle. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good. It's it's cool. So from the very analog to the much more sophisticated in terms of its application, I want to kind of, again, I'm going to wrap a couple of things together here, but the Puffco Peak Pro, I guess it's your flagship device, I would say, because it's, you know, from my side, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I know the the Peak, it's your kind of the the industry standard, if you will, but the, the Pro incorporates, you know, an application and and more technology to give you even more data on what's going on in terms of temperature and and all the rest of it. Dosing is a really hot topic, especially on the it, dosing for medicinal purposes. So maybe just tell the the audience, you know, more about the Peak Pro and the the way that it's sort of at the intersection of design and technology, really, really coming together as you say to drive that innovation forward from Puffco. But was it specifically conceived again with getting more control on the dose and moving towards that kind of mindset? Because as you say, it's the, the, a lot of the consumption around um, concentrates, they're, they're much stronger, right? So you can go a bit too far, let's just say. So was that 
what you're thinking with that product and if you could maybe just talk a little bit about the dosing and the way that technology is sort of helping with that. Yeah, sure. I think the Peak Pro was designed out of when the Peak came out, I think we changed the game and the landscape and we got a lot of feedback. And like we said, uh, we talked about previously, our goal is to create a monologue with our customers. Uh, I'm, t- I'm sorry, a dialogue rather than a monologue with our cost- customers. Uh, so we listen. We found that um, we can iterate on the peak and do a version addressing some of the things that, that we would like to see and also the customers would like to see. I think the word that I would use more is to empower our users, right? rather than just control, not just giving them control, but by giving them control, we're empowering them to select the kind of experience that they want to experience. Whether they want to you know, blow huge clouds or they're flavor chasers or cloud chasers, we have a way for you to uh, use this device in a way that serves you the best. Mm-hmm. And as far as dosing is concerned, I like to say that with anything, especially with, with uh, cannabis and any kind of drugs, is you can always do more but you can't do less. So start out small, see how that works. You don't have to, you don't have to figure it all out in one day. Try it one day at this, this amount. Well, that didn't do anything for me, so I'm going to do a little bit more tomorrow. Whatever it is, and work your way up to create an experience that's not jolting or puts you into outer space and you're you know, paralyzed for 16 hours. Not that those things happen, but you know, just create the most, most enjoyable process possible, experience possible by giving you the levers and the switches to be able to control what that is. With the, the dosing thing, I, I, I just highly recommend that people start low and then work their way up. I, I've always said you can add, but you can't subtract. Um, and, then, and then here's a little trick for, for your audience that are medicinally and hopefully soon going to be rec- uh, recreationally consuming um, is, is that CBD counteracts THC. Mm. So, if you feel like you're too high, take some CBD and it'll bring you down. Yeah, modulates it out. That's uh, that's solid advice. Uh, just another one. I uh, one thing I, I I really loved when Roger kind of you know he he set the company up, talked a lot. I read a lot about. He brought the creative teams in house because historically, cannabis companies or co- companies in general, I guess, go to any other industry. They import a device from another area of the world that's potentially like you know lower cost, rebrand it, kind of put it out there. It's a Fair product to to low product, low quality, low caliber product, but it's got some flashy branding and you can market the hell out of it. Talk to me about the setup of the kind of teams inside Puffco. What kind of people have you got working there in the creative departments to take these concepts through Roger's vision, your vision into their reality? Because I think that's interesting for people because, you know, there is the outsource model is a traditional well-worn path and it takes guts, cost, investment and time to really build out your own team. So talk to me a little bit about that and, and your culture as well. What's the culture like a rep that wraps around that at Puffco? Um, I got to tell you, it was an amazing experience when I interviewed with everybody at Puffco because I could feel their passion. I could feel their love for the plant, love for what they're doing, love for the brand. It was just, just undeniable with everyone I spoke to. Needless to say, we have an amazing team. Of, of amazing people that are young, passionate, um, really driven, um, really love the work that, that that they're doing at the company. You're absolutely right. There's always an easy w- way and the hard way. There's always the narrow road and the wide road. And um, sometimes the wide road 
you know, because it's wide, has a lot of traffic and a lot of people going down that road. And the narrow road has the few and far between that are willing to take the risk and do the work, even though it's not the shortcut. I think Roger's vision for Puffco was to build the future that we want to see with like-minded people that share the same core values. That's which is really important to me because you could be a Republican, I could be a a Democrat. We could have differences of of opinions, but our core values are that racism sucks, shouldn't (laughs) exist. Cannabis should be legal. Um, You should be a kind, good person. You should help those in need. You should contribute to the community. I mean, there's a checklist of things just as a human being that you should have. It's non-negotiable. And so I think that's how he built this company. And lo and behold, those people tend to be the most passionate, most dedicated, um, talented people in the industry. So we have an amazing in-house product development team that painstakingly um, goes through R&D and research and figuring out all the things that we need to try to develop and, and, and put a product together uh, from the design to the electronics, the functionality, all of that stuff is all in-house. Then we have an, an incredible uh, operations team that sources everything, puts the supply chain together, gets all of that together, get all the manufacturing together, all of that. Then we have an amazing uh, creative team that I'm blessed enough to oversee, uh, creative marketing team that just... We don't want to be just the biggest brand in cannabis. We want to be one of the biggest brands in the world, next to Nike, next to Apple, next to Coca-Cola. That's how we want to normalize the industry, not just by being the leaders in our space, encroaching into other spaces where big brands are and compete with them at that level. So um, from there, we have an incredible sales team that goes out there, like you said, boots to the ground, talks to every bud tender, goes to every dispensary talks to all the people and say, hey, spends the time to really learn and figure out a way how we can integrate into their their business and help them uh, drive some more revenue. Because at the end of the day, it is a business. So, um, But all that being said, we have a commonality, which is that we may not look alike, we may not have differences of opinions politically, religiously, whatever it is, but we all come together under the same roof, under the same core values as human beings, if that makes sense. I, it totally does. It, it leads me into like another thing I just wanted to ask you, which is you, you've kind of touched on it already. But you know, building diverse creative teams is just a surefire way to generate better ideas. You know, I've experienced that through my whole career. You know, if you hire everyone that's had the same education from the same backgrounds, and you get in a room and you try to ideate, you'll come up with really good ideas. But they'll probably be the easiest ideas you ever come up with because everyone agrees because you say the you see the world in the same way that doesn't come with the best ideas. You know, it will be a fine idea. So really, really having those, the diversity right at the heart of a creative team where everyone sees the problem from a different space, you probably have a shitload more arguments to get to the creative solution, but that creative solution will be much more thought out. It sounds like you really embrace that at Puffco. Is that, are you, are you hiring for that? Are you really making sure that you're building those diverse teams to make sure you're solving those problems through those different lenses? Hundred percent. You're you hit the you know nail right on the head. Absolutely. We don't want a you know room full of all just like-minded people that have you know the same experiences. We want to bring people in that have uh, different life experiences, but again, sharing the same core values so um, that we can we can have commonalities and then approach a problem with different perspectives. So my youngest uh, in my team is my designer, and he's 23. Um, so he's really young. 
um, but extremely talented. And he has a completely different perspective than, um, you know, some of the, some of those older guys that have kind of been through it, but it's, it's really refreshing. It's incredibly kind of raw and things that I just, just because I'm, I don't have a pulse on pop culture right now. I couldn't tell you what the number one song is. You know, I don't know who the biggest TikTok uh, influencer is. I just don't have the, the, the pulse. I'm, I'm, I'm a little older. So oh, too many apps these days, too many platforms. Yes. So many things going on, but these young kids have a have a great pulse. So he brings a completely different, um, you know, kind of approach to things. Um, I have a designer from Italy. He's more of a, like a fine artist kind of kind of a designer. He's just um, extremely into with just aesthetics and with um, just his vocabulary of his design language is just so much far advanced than than anyone that I've ever met before. It's because he more of an artist than a designer, but he is our senior designer. So they're just people from all different ages, all different kind of perspectives, all different life experiences that come to uh, solve problems. And we just, you know, the biggest culture thing that I think has to be made is that we respect each other. We don't have to agree, but we respect each other and we create a safe space where ideas and thoughts can be shared without ridicule or uh, and without uh, anybody being bullish or anything like that. So create a safe space where ideas and dialogue could happen. Bang on, man. I mean, there's no bad idea, right? You just got to build on them, build on each other's ideas. So, you know, one of our values at, at Glow is, is do the right thing. And, you know, Puffco has some incredible partnerships. You know, you guys have the thing going on with One Tree Planted. You have the various different pricing structures for veterans and the military. How, how important are these company values and sort of giving back to the community? You know, you talk about Roger and yourself and the team wanting to create the future that you, we, us, we want to be part of. It, it sounds like that's right at the core of the company. Can you talk a little to that? Sure. And I think that's, that's a very important part of our DNA. If we don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it out of all oh, other companies are doing it, so we should do it so we don't fall behind. It actually genuinely 100% comes from a place of just love and wanting to make a contribution to better whatever it is, um, a little step at a time. So, you know, if you think about it, even if you take something and you pivot just, let's say, three degrees right now, in the long run, that pivot of three degrees will take you to a completely different destination than if you would have just stayed on the path that you were on. So um, we're all, always constantly pivoting. We're always constantly looking to see where our platform uh, could serve others. Um, give you an example. I think the best example is how can we hand our megaphone to somebody that needs to be heard? How can we as a platform serve not only the cannabis community, and uh, our customers, but serve humanity as a whole. Um, there are things that we can do as a brand in our space that maybe not a lot of brands can do, and we want to take full advantage of that and make contributions that are uh, far beyond just revenue and uh, things that you can that are tangible like that. But really, make contributions that uh, will plant the seeds and lay the foundations so that uh, future generation will have a better better world than we, we we had that's powerful stuff and i again totally aligned on that one jason just want to like shift a little bit away now more from puffco and and talk more maybe broadly about the industry just for sort of final 10 minutes or so 
what's not working with the industry? What do you what do you dislike about it, or what are the areas of improvement that you you would like to see in cannabis? Um, I think you know cannabis has a PR problem. Mm-hmm. It's been so long demonized, and I think it has old guards still keeping the gates. Um, and it's kind of like I see it in a lot of different industries, in the film industry, in the music industry. There's a reluctance to progress and moving forward because they're not familiar with it. You know, technology was something that was not embraced by the music industry. Hence, we have the situation we're in today. If they would have just been a little more thoughtful about it, um, they could have been, you know, owning this space. All that creative energy Metallica spent on fighting Napster, they could have probably made several better albums in that weird time when they were knocking out some anger, right? (laughs) 100%. 100%. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's what role are you going to play when it happens, right? Are you going to be one of the leaders in the space? Are you going to be a follower? Are you going to be way behind? I've seen it happen in the music industry slowly. It's still there. But uh, I've seen it happen in the film industry um, where the old guards kind of retire or leave. And usually what happens is the old guard trains the next one in line so that the next one that comes out shares the same views and nothing changes, right? There's this kind of rinse and repeat kind of attitude towards those things. But I saw that change in the film industry where younger people came with different ideas and different perspectives of how to approach a filmmaking, how to approach a distribution, how to approach, you know, Netflix completely changed the game for the film industry. Why couldn't Warner Brothers do that? Well, they're doing it now with HBO Max, but, you know, that's decades, almost a decade later after, after you know, Netflix launched. So, you know, what I'm saying is, is that I think uh, progress is made because people who are in position of power are willing to have the conversation and do the things that are necessary to pivot and adjust and accommodate the needs of, of the community or, 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 or people of today, not of a hundred years ago or, or 60 years ago. Um, that evolution is what I'm looking forward to. And I hope that will come in, in, in the form of all the research that's going on with, with, you know, magic mushrooms and psycho, psych, psychoactive uh, drugs to help PTSD, depression, anxiety. There's data on it. Same thing with cannabis. I lost, uh, uh, you know, a friend recently to uh, cancer and, uh, uh, he used cannabis to so he can eat, you know, after his chemo treatments. It was literally a medicine for him. And he's not the only one. There's millions of people out there that do that. So whether it's nausea, and, nausea, anxiety, depression, uh, whatever it is, the universe gave us the tools to be able to remedy that. And uh, well, I just would love to get it to a point where the conversation could be had in a productive way to the people and the decision makers so that things could change uh, in a way where, you know, this, this plant is no longer demonized. Yeah. I mean, I, it blew my mind when I was uh, much like you, when I was first kind of le- in my early phases of, of learning more and more about the plant and its applications across any number of different medicinal conditions, you know, uh, when I was talking to a late stage HIV patient and he was using the plant because they get this condition called cachexia, which is wasting disorder, where you get that kind of prisoner of war, very thin, gaunt look. Cannabis was basically giving him the munchies, you know, helping him eat and giving him that appetite stimulation that could just allow him for that better quality of life. And that's, you know, what it's all about. It's helping people live better lives, whether you want to use the plant as a, as a medicine or something therapeutically, or even as a social lubricant, which you guys can in North America, you know, 
One thing I think is is important as well for European audiences, for all the amazing advancements that have happened in markets like you know Canada and the US and uh, all the rest of it, is is we shouldn't necessarily just assume that all the answers have been had. There's things that have been done wrong, like you say, the old guard kind of mindset. And I'm just hopeful that in Europe we don't just import some of the same stuff just because that's what's been done by lots of companies over there. I mean, obviously everyone's learning and evolving their their business, but we have an opportunity as it's frontier over here to try and take some of those learnings of not what to do, as well as obviously absolutely what's the right thing to do with the sophistication that you guys have in so many ways. So, you know, we're really excited to to, to go on that journey and hopefully rather than repeat the same things, try and try and learn and keep pushing and keep evolving. Jason, what what advice would you give to anyone that's looking to get into cannabis? You know, we've both switched careers and and gone in in our own way but you know you work with a lot of young people you know you're obviously mentoring some of these people in your creative team and the whole of the company what advice would you pass on i would um ask anybody interested in getting into cannabis to get obsessive obsessive over the plant obsess over the culture obsess over all of the things that are under the umbrella of cannabis because there is a lot and um you will be rewarded greatly um, by learning so much uh, as I did. It's just an amazing plant, uh, amazing people that enjoy the plant. You know, a lot of the community is born out of activism, right? Because of the whole HIV, HIV like you mentioned, uh, epidemic that happened here in the US in the 80s. You know, that was kind of the, the, the start of the legalization for cannabis here in the US was uh, because of that. And so, you know, it's in our DNA, the activism part of it to you know, right some of the wrongs and, 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 you know, be on the front lines. I think that's in the DNA of the cannabis culture. So I would just ask anybody interested in cannabis to just dive deep. It's, you know, just learn about the plant, learn about the culture, learn about the community, learn as much as you can so that when you come, you don't just come to the table with a, with a gun, you actually have some bullets in it. It's not brain surgery. It, it, it's actually fun and enjoyable, but Really understand that it's something that you don't have all the answers to. Sometimes it defies logic, um, and sometimes it defies un- uh, understanding. But if you spend the time to really learn about the plant, it's an amazing journey at the end of it. It's an amazing community, amazing culture, uh, amazing opportunity to do um, a lot of amazing things in, in this business. I agree wholeheartedly. Just the kind of flower concentrates kind of vibe like obviously puffco is uh, apart from the uh the budsy which we talked about earlier you're a concentrate first business like what is the data telling you about consumption habits among cannabis users of all ages in the u.s at the moment or, or more broadly like what are you seeing there is there a shift is it still kind of flower dominant like, what's going on um so i like to compare um like flowers at concentrates like orange and orange juice so you can eat an orange, peel everything, or you can drink orange juice, right? So I look at concentrate as like orange juice. It takes like seven oranges to make one glass of one glass of orange juice. So it's a concentrated form of uh, consuming orange juice. Where eating an orange, you get the whole thing, but you know you, you you might get things that you don't want out of it as well. So right now it is flower dominant here in the U.S., but it has been trending very high that uh, people are starting to uh, really not only be curious about cannabis, uh, about, about concentrates, but really trying to dive deep into 
learning more about it and trying it for themselves. So can, uh, Concentrate is a growing uh, segment and I think it is the highest growing segment. I think uh, month over month, it's the highest growing se- uh, segment in cannabis. Well, that's fascinating. And it's what we're always seeing as well. And obviously, we, uh, we're big believers in concentrates. Um, so excited to see how that trend continues to rise. Jason, what, you know, obviously, you've, you've been at the, the coalface of innovation, of the intersection of design, technology, cannabis. What are, if I give you a crystal ball, what are the most exciting things that you feel are coming? Obviously, you guys have a big hand in that, but what, what's, what's going to be happening in the next sort of 12, 18, 24 months? I think it's a normalization of cannabis. So just like you can walk into a bar and grab a beer and sit in the bar and talk to your, you know, your buddy and spend time like that, um, there should be no reason why an adult can't go into a place and consume cannabis and enjoy cannabis uh, with others um, just in a social setting. Um, it shouldn't be odd to see somebody uh, walking down down the street holding a peak or a plus uh, consuming cannabis. It just the normalization of it, I think, is what's going to be, um, from a cultural standpoint, the most impactful thing. I think you're going to see a lot of consumption lounges popping up uh, once it becomes federally legal or even states that are legal will have consumption licenses. You'll see it being portrayed more in film and television uh, in a positive way um, because right now it's still the stereotypical caricatures of people who consume cannabis, right? The stoner or, or the, the, the lazy bum that all want, only wants to smoke weed and go surfing every day. Well, there's CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that, that use cannabis. There are doctors that use cannabis. There are lawyers that use cannabis. There are it's all walks of life. So, you know, I think normalization of it, um, I normalized it with my kids and I have a, a 24 year old and a 22 year old. And I told them, you know, I'd rather you consume cannabis and drink alcohol, but the choice is up to you. Here's what it's all about. Explain it to them. And one of my kids has no interest in it and the other kid loves it. So it's like, it's, you know, but I normalized the form. It's like, I'm not going to, you're an adult now. You I can go to a bar and have a beer. You should know what this is, whether it's an edible, whether it's concentrates, whether it's flour, here's it all laid out for you. And given the opportunity to make that choice, not everybody's going to make that choice and that's okay. But at least normalizing it, will put that on the menu as right now it's not on the menu. Jason, I just have a final question and you may or may not have a ready-made answer for this. Could you give us a, a favorite Steve Jobs uh, experience or memory from, from working with him, just taking the interview back to the start to finish it off? Huh, wow, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good question. Um, I'll give you an example. I was in a meeting, uh, real quick, I was in a meeting. Um, we were about to show uh, Steve some work that we had been doing for the past month or so. Uh, the head engineer came to the meeting early and said, let me see what you're going to show, show Steve. So we showed him everything and he put it into two separate piles, one to show Steve, one not to show Steve. He said, don't show this to Steve because he'll want to do it. We don't have time to do it. I said, okay. So we go to this meeting, me being a bit of a rebel, I sh- we show Steve everything. And Steve, lo and behold, picks the things that the engineer said, don't show Steve. He picks them. And the engineer says to Steve, we're in a meeting of probably about 10 to 12 people. And he says, okay, so, you know, we're going to go with this. We're going to make, and the head engineer goes to Steve, Steve, we can't do it. We can't do that. And Steve goes, he gets up and he looks him in the face and he says, is it going to cost me more money? Are we going to have to hire more people or we can't do it? And the engineer goes, 
it's going to cost you a lot more money. We're going to have to hire more people. And he goes, well, don't, don't ever tell me we can't do something. We're not in the business of not doing things. That's super cool. Love it. Right? Yeah. What a, what a great uh, experience to have had. And what a great way to end uh, the show this week. Jason, I just want to say a uh, huge thank you to you for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating listening to all of your different stories through your journey in cannabis with Puffco and everything that went on before. And I'm really, really excited. We watch with close eyes uh, on everything you guys are doing. And we're really excited for what comes next. Um, and we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. And just to say thank you very much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. It was, it was really fun and pleasure to be on. Thank you, Charlie. So I wanted just to say thank you so much to Jason for taking the time to talk to me today. I felt like I could have talked to him for hours and gone right into micro detail about some of those moments through his journey. There was just so many to unpick and unpack. And I'm sure we'll be getting him back on the show again in the future to dig a little deeper and find a few more stories for us all to enjoy. When he was talking about his time with Steve Jobs, it really made me think of one of my favorite documentaries called The Defiant Ones, which I'm sure is familiar to many of you. If you haven't checked it out, I think it's still on Netflix. So clear your schedule and make some time for that. It's absolutely incredible. It's the story of Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre as they forge their own paths in their respective um, lanes through the music industry across multiple decades, culminating in them uh, starting and then selling Beats headphones to Apple. And Jimmy Iovine talked a lot about working with John Lennon at the start of his career and what it felt like to be around such a generational talent. He spoke about how he felt some of Lennon's creative energy rubbed off and stayed with Jimmy through his illustrious career. And I really got that vibe from Jason with his time uh, working with Steve. You know, I absolutely loved hearing those stories. So once again, thank you, Jason. And we'll be looking forward to having you back on. So next up, I'll be joined by Ophelia Chong and Angela Chen. Uh, they're two of the most significant women in cannabis, you know, regularly featured in High Times, uh, Top 50 lists and many other publications. They are a joy to spend time with, full of energy. And I will be digging into everything from extracts to diversity in cannabis with both of them. Uh, I can't wait for the show. That's coming up next week. I really hope you can join me. And until then, as always, stay safe, stay well, and I'll speak with you then. The Glow Show. We believe in the power of cannabis.